All right, let's get after it. I have a story that I'm so excited about telling you. Actually, several stories that I'm really excited about telling you. Uh, We are starting a new series about the mission and the story of God. And uh, I want to launch into that today by telling you about creation. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about the whole series and why we're doing what we're doing. And in order to do that, and I know this is kind of a creation thing too, but I want to talk about woolly things. And I know you were probably expecting that already. I can understand that. And of course, when I'm talking about woolly things, I know that you are probably initially thinking about the only thing that we call woolly. What's a woolly animal that you know of? Did somebody say me? Who was that? It was one of you kids. I'm going to, you and I'll have words later, son. A mammoth. You guys ever heard of a woolly mammoth? Yeah, so this thing that looks like a a big old elephant, roll tide, and, um, you know, sweeping over creation way back when, uh, uh, you know, suited for a colder, uh, icy sort of uh, climate, a, a big, hairy elephant. Wouldn't you like to see a big, hairy elephant? If on the other side of a fence, um, maybe, yeah, oh man, that'd be fun. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's what you may not know. I, I bet there are some, uh, some of our younger kids here that are aware of this being a little paleontologist as they are. Did you know that the mammoth was not the only of the ancient woolly animal? There was also a woolly rhinoceros. Looked like this. Yeah. A rhinoceros, but woolly. I mean, you put that together, I'm sure. A woolly rhinoceros was, uh, you know, again, like the animals that we we have today, except for covered with a a fur, a nice fur coat, uh, so that it could make it into uh, climates in different parts of the world. In fact, uh, while we think of, you know, rhinoceri, rhinoceri, as being uh, animals that live in the, the warmer parts of the world right now, um, they were actually, they actually lived up like in Northern Europe. Okay. In fact, um, there's like been fossilized remains of these things living all the way up in like Germany. Um, a fossil of a, of a rhinoceros, a woolly rhinoceros like this. Okay. Um, which you can see it, right? You can see what this thing looks like. And now I'm ready to tell you the story that I'm so excited to tell you. Okay. Now Jayla, hold this next picture. Don't show this next picture yet. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to show you this picture in a second, y'all. In 1663, before archaeologists, modern archaeology and paleontology really had developed the scheme for ancient fossils, like we kind of understand a little bit better today, they found remains in Germany of a woolly rhinoceros. But the problem was they had no concept of this because they didn't know what the bones of this creature would look like, because they had no concept in 1663 Germany of what a woolly rhinoceros might look like, okay? But they did the best they could, and so we are treated to a, a reconstruction of this creature. They didn't know what a woolly rhinoceros looked like, but they had an idea about a unicorn. And so they made this. (laughs) 
This is called the Magdeburg Unicorn, <laughs> okay? And I'm going to tell you that that is a very interesting creature, and I would still line up and pay good museum money to get in and see this thing, and I would take a picture with my own self. I'd be selfieing the fool out of this sucker, okay? They actually, that, that, that's the head of the, it's, it's, got some, it's got some mammoth bones in there too. I mean, it's, it, it just, they just didn't know, they didn't know what they were doing when they made this thing, okay? And they, it, it took them about 50 years to try to piece it together, and this is what they came up with, okay? And obviously, you're at this point going, well, I am catching the wrong channel at church this morning because this is like some weird uh, discovery channel thing. So let's talk about Bible for just a second. Have you, ever, have you ever been lost in this book? I mean, we talk about this book all the time. Has somebody ever said, hey, we're gonna turn to 2 Chronicles today and you're like in there, you, you have to look it up where it is in the page, what's the page number that 2 Chronicles turns to? And you're like, where does this story even, like, okay, this, I mean, if, I, if, if, if you had to find the story, okay, of David and Goliath right now, how, how long would it take you? Well, no, it'll be breaking out the Google on me, all right? I know you sneaky folk. All right, or, or, or if I said, hey, can, can you turn to the story of um, the woman at the well? You would first say, well, which woman, what well are we talking about? Right, right. Have, 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 be honest to yourself. You don't have to raise your hand. You ever been in a Bible class or in a, a sermon, something like that, and somebody says something about the Bible, and you felt like everybody else knew what they were talking about, but you just were kind of lost. You ever been lost like that? I have. And it takes me some time. I've, I've been around the Bible my whole life. And sometimes it takes me a little bit to figure out where, where we are in the story. Now, it's gotten a lot easier over time. But it's gotten easier because I've got an idea about what the skeleton looks like. Okay? And as we develop a sense of what it means to be people who follow Jesus together and thus are also dedicated to learning from the scriptures and using the scriptures, allowing the scriptures to be transformative in our lives, we have to develop a set of skills, a tool belt, if you will, okay, for how we're going to go about reading scripture. And one of the most important tools that you can have in reading scripture is having a, a skeleton. Having a good skeleton in your head about what the whole story looks like so that you can find your place in there. Where is it that we might think about this story of Jesus and the woman in the well? Where is it that we might expect to find a story about King David? Where might we expect to find this story of Moses at Mount Sinai? Where do all of these things fit? in the long story of Scripture. And so over the next few months, what we're going to do is we look at not just the story of Scripture, and the story of God, but also the mission of God. We're going to look at what is the skeleton and what is the grand mission of God that's being told in that story. What's it all about, right? So we're going to do some big picture sorts of things over the next few months. And I hope you'll walk away by the time we finish, okay, in November, I hope you'll walk away having a much more confident understanding about how the whole of Scripture works together so that we won't necessarily be constructing unicorns when we're trying to build a rhinoceros, right? 
We want to know how the pieces fit together into one unified story of God. That being said, here's a map. These are 10 things that are 10 mission points or 10 story points in Scripture. And we're going to be working through these over the next few weeks, okay, over the next couple of months. And we're just going to try to get a, get a clear understanding of how this story works together. Now, by now, you've all had time to read ahead and look at those, okay? But here are my 10. Now, the truth is that we could have put 100 points up there, right? Or we could have tried to narrow it down to five. And I don't know that it really matters whether we have 100 or five or 10 points, but we need to have some amount in our heads so that we can find our way around a little bit. Landmarks, so that we know where we are when we're trying to get around in the story of the Bible. For me, it starts with creation, that God created the world and that filled, he filled it with life. Now, we would also go through these others. We're going to take these in turn over the next, uh, next few weeks. We're going to start with creation today. Next week, we'll come back and we'll talk about corruption, the fall of creation, how things got kind of messed up and broken. And then we're going to talk about covenant, the way Abraham and his family were selected to be part of God's story. We'll go through that to talk about the Exodus and, and the story at Sinai, too, that God took Abraham's descendants, rescued them, and made them into a new people who would live by his word. We'll think about what it meant for them to be established in a kingdom, to have a kingdom where there were people who were in charge and there were others who would come and who had the gift of prophecy, teach the people what it meant to follow God's law, and to warn them when they were going the wrong way. That moment of the kingdom, which was such a turbulent time in God's story, it led, because of violence, it led to the moment of the exile. I'll have a lot to say about the exile when we get to it. But the exile in here, that as you scanned this list of 10 things, you might have been, oh, that's kind of funny and weird that that's there. And maybe it is. 10% of the Bible is devoted to it. And so I think it kind of needs where, because it has important things to teach us about the whole of the story of God. Beyond the exile, though, we have the story of, we spent a lot of time this year, you before we got, we're looking through the gospel of John. And where does the gospel of John fit into this whole story? Well, it's right here in this seventh movement, the story of the Messiah that got into the world. And that Messiah lived and died, was resurrected. That Messiah also taught us, which is, of course, what we've been doing this summer, thinking about the teachings of the Messiah. And then from that, we have the story that God not only sent the Messiah into the world, but God sent his spirit into the world to follow the Messiah, to live within the people. And then, and then the same God that sent the Messiah and who sent the spirit, that same God sent church into the world. And the church has been given a worldwide mission that we are still embracing today. And we believe, though, that's not the last movement of this story, that someday at the end of what we think of as time, at the end of this era, there will come a day where Jesus returns. And that the things that began in the creation story will be brought to fulfillment when Jesus comes on what we call the last day. 
this is a skeleton, right? This is the rhinoceros. This is what it looks like. Creation as the opening story, as the opening part of that long, great story, is, comes back up all over the scriptures, where the, in the class that I was in the uh, 40s and 20s were together this morning, and we looked at uh, the creation story. And we also saw it popping back at the, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, or in the book of Colossians, or maybe you might see creation in Rome. Romans chapter 8, or you might even find glimpses of it in the book of Revelation. The creation keeps coming up and what it is that God's doing. Because when we come to the creation story, when we come to the first movement here, it sets the tone for the whole. It sets up the whole of the story because in creation, we get a glimpse of what it is that God really once. Now, this is one of the most important questions that we can take into Scripture. What is it that this text has to tell me about what God wants? You guys remember the movie a few years ago that, uh, that came out, like, What Women Want? You remember that movie? It starred Mel Gibson, which for a lot of people is the answer to the question, What Women Want? Um, I think the question that I take is, what is it that God wants? What does this story, even if it's a story embedded in the middle of Chronicles or it's embedded in the Gospel of John or in Revelation, what does this tell me about what God wants? And creation, the, the creation narrative that we have at the beginning shows us so much about that question, giving us such insight into what it is that God is really after the answer, I think, turns out to be that God gives life. God wants there to be life. Of course, this is pretty easy. This is no complicated theology here. But to me, when I come back to this story that I first learned when I was, you know, knee high. When I come back to this story, what's striking to me is God's abundant giving of life in the story and the way that it's told. When it says uh, in verse 20, we're in Genesis chapter one, if you want to read along here, God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living. We're on the fifth day. That ever comes up on a trivia question for you. Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. Or the old translation says, let the waters teem with living creatures, right? Let the waters bring forms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. And so God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with, with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters of the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. I mean, God didn't just sit content to say, all right, I got a fish in mine. I'm going to make one of them. It's red, you know? Instead, we get creation of the waters, the, the, the creation of living things that are going to be swarming through the oceans. 
so that the oceans are going to be full of life, full of diversity of life in so many different forms. And to me, that speaks about a God who wants the world to be full of life. He doesn't even rest with the diversity that he's created. But at this point, he says, all right, now that I've created you, fish and birds, go and fill up these spaces that I've given you, right? Let the waters be full of these things. Let the air be full of the different kinds of birds. Let them go through the world and multiply and, and let the, you know, let it be a lot of them. God wants a lot of it. He wants life all over the place. Of course, the next few verses tell us about the, 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 the next day on the sixth day. Let earth bring forth living creatures, every kind, cattle, creeping things, wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. He sees the diversity of all these creatures that he's made and he says it's so good. God just gets on a tangent, starting making left and right. God, God makes aardvarks and alpacas, right? Makes some amazing, amazing creatures. No unicorn out there, but some things that are pretty close. And this is part of the mystery of God's story. That God gives life because God loves life. He loves it. And he loves to see the creation. He loves to see the cosmos full of life. Not just one thing here and one thing there, but he loves to see the swirling mass of life on earth. Goes on later on to tell the animals after he's made them, he says, I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to give you all of the plants on earth to eat. It's like God made all the animals, then he made a big buffet for them. I'm not going to serve you just grass. Here's all the different, I had a friend, uh, my friend Dale Wines, man, I love this man, he died several years ago. My, my friend Banks is his father, his name is Dale, and Dale said the funniest thing one time I was at their house, he was going to pray for the food, we were over at their house having dinner, and he said, he was such a goofy guy, he said, guys, I got to tell you, before we pray for the food, he said, isn't it so great that our food has different colors? He said, God could have made it so that all of our food was just brown. You know, I just tan food all the time, right? Look, pale food, you know, just. He says, isn't it so great that we look on our plate? We got a little red here, a little green here. We have some blueberries. Got a little bit of everything. God did that for the animals. God said, hey, animals, look, I got such a surprise for you guys. I'm not just giving you some worn out hay. I made all of these plants, all of these different kinds of plants. I'm giving it to you as a gift. Why? Because God loves the diversity of creation. He loves that life comes in all these forms. And it is his pleasure to treat his animals to a feast of food. That is God's great pleasure. Of course, God welcomes humanity into the same mix, right? 
Later on the sixth day, God says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created humankind in his image. The image of God created the male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Subdue it or have dominion over it. And then he says, see, I've given you every plant yielding seed upon its fa- uh, that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in it and its fruit and you shall have them for food. And he goes on to say that's for all the animals too. It, God welcomes us into a world that is already teeming and swarming with life. And he gives us the charge and he says, you go make more life. Make even more life on this world. Why is it? Why is God doing that? Because God loves life. God loves life. He gives not just humanity life, not just the ability to breathe, but he gives us something else that he knows that we need for good life. Our world is so is becoming more aware of this finally, that we don't just need to breathe, we need a job to do, right? And so God gives us a role. He gives us a purpose in that. We talked about that in our class this morning. But I want you to look and see that God's doing that with all of his creation. Looks into creation, and before he calls out, before he calls out the, the, the tells the waters, okay, the, before he, he doesn't just say, I'm going to snap my fingers and make dry land. What does he do? He says, um, look, in, look in verse 9. He says, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And then when it comes out, okay, he says, let the earth. Put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on every kind of the earth that bear fruit with the seed. Now, hold on a second. So God brings the earth out. And then you notice the next thing that he does? He gives the earth, he gives the dirt a job to do. Here you are. Here's your job. Now, notice that that theme continues as we continue to read in Genesis, right? Look in verse 20. Now, when he's talked about the birds and the, and the fish, now you may have had in, my, in mind, you may have heard me read, when I read this, you may have just heard God said, let there be fish, like there was, like he said, let there be life. That's not exactly what it reads, is it? It says, let the waters bring forth swarms. Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creature and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky, okay? Or notice in verse 24, let the earth, let the dirt, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind. And after he brings those living creatures, right? Then he gives them the charge to go be fruitful and to multiply because this is what the God who loves life does. He brings things into creation, then he gives them a job. And he does the same thing with humanity too. Now here, he were told to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. In the second chapter, when we talk about the creation of Adam and Eve, it says God brought the man into the 
to garden, to work it, and to till it, to cultivate it, right? When God brings humanity into his creation, he gives us a role to play. And the role to play is to join him in the cultivation of life on earth. Isn't that amazing? God, God calls us in this, this, in the creation, in the bringing of, of, of humanity into this world and giving us a job to do and a role and a purpose. In all of that, that's where God looks out over creation and he's already said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But here he says, it is very good. Very good. Because now God not only has the world full of life, he has partners sustaining and multiplying and cultivating that life. Earlier, I said, and I know that you were with me on this, that, you know, it's real easy to get lost here, right? It's real easy to get lost here in this book and not know where you are from one place to the next. But it's also just hard to get lost here. It's hard to get lost, not, well, in this, actually in this building, it is hard to, it's pretty easy to get lost. It, uh, it's easy to get lost in just, in just the world, right? I mean, it can be kind of easy to get lost in the story of Scripture But have you ever felt sorry? Like, not just so that you were trying to make sense of, okay, this is where Chronicle goes, and this is where um, First Kings goes, and this is, this is where Ezra shows up. And the, uh, but have you, ever, have you ever felt, I'm not really sure, I, I thought my life would be at a different place by now than it feels like I'm at. I, I, I kind of thought that, my job was going to take a different turn than, than it feels like I've made it to. Or, I, you know, I always thought that when I, when I grew older and, and I retired, I thought I, I thought I would be this kind of person, but I'm looking around and I... Just, it doesn't seem to make sense. You ever felt lost? in your own story? Ever felt like you just thought the plot was going to go differently? I want to suggest something. Maybe the reason we so often feel so lost in the story of our lives is because we think we're the main characters. And sometimes we're trying to build, we're trying to build a unicorn out of a rhinoceros and the pieces don't make sense. Because what we're trying to make up is just a fantasy thing that we made up in our own heads. 
Along with that, think about the struggle that so many of us have with trying to figure out how God fits into it all. How, does, how am I supposed to cultivate a spiritual life and a faith that fits into the, the life that I have? How does that make sense? And the, the punchline is it doesn't make sense because it's not about whether God fits into your story. It's about trying to figure out where you fit into God's story. As long as we and it all revolves around us, this won't make sense. What is the story of your life? We started off talking about, you know, this structure. You know what? Those 10 things, they're not just the story of the Bible. They're the story of you. That's your story. And it's not just trying about trying to fit the Bible into your life, fit God into your life, fit Jesus into what you got going on on Tuesday night. It's really trying to figure out how you relate to the whole of God's story. What is God doing? I read the Bible and I want to say, what is it God wants in this pet text? But I'm also trying to read my life and I'm trying to say, what is it that God wants with me? What is it that God wants from me? What is God doing is not just a story we take to scripture. It's a story that we take to work and we take to school and we take home and we take into our neighborhood. We take, we take with us everywhere we go. It is an essential, fundamental question about who we are. And I want to tell you, and I want you to hear that part of the gospel is God has not written you out of his story. God has made sure to invite you and welcome you into what he is doing in the world. That's what this story is in part. Not that we're the heroes, but it's part of the story of how God, instead of abandoning a corrupted creation, God has chosen to enter into relationship, enter into saving relationship with people who he will then gather despite the ups and downs of the little kingdoms that they make and the moments of exile when they seem like everything is lost. God sends his Messiah into the world and sends his spirit and then he reaches out and he brings us all into the story and then he sends us out into the world ourselves and my brothers and sisters the gospel is that until the day of his return we have work to do because Jesus has brought us into his story listen You know, I don't want to beat up 17th century archaeologists too bad. They're trying to do the best they can with the pieces they got. And aren't we all pretty much trying to do that? But what if the answer of this question, what is the story to your life? What if 
that wasn't a mystery anymore for you. Would that be good news? I think it is. I think it is. Let us pray together. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, who has been present in the story from the beginning until the chapter that is not yet told. Jesus, would you open our eyes, give us wisdom and insight and understanding. Teach us what it is that you want. And oh God, if you can use us in your story, we are at your service. Do with us as you will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.